Can You Believe It? Chapter 22. If you're keeping track, this is our 49th time we have turned to this book. Uh, So I made it in less than a year, and that's good news. Revelation chapter number 22. We're going to begin at verse 6 today and go to the end of the chapter in a message I have entitled, How God Closes His Word. John has been faithfully fulfilling all through this book. He's been faithful, faithfully fulfilling the purpose that he shared with us all the way back in chapter number 1. In chapter 1 and verse 1, it says that the purpose of this book is to show unto his servants the things which must shortly come to pass. So John has been used by God all through this book to reveal God's plan for the future. 2,000 years ago, John sitting on the Isle of Patmos is writing these words, being told what to write every word by the Holy Spirit. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. So in chapter 1, verse 19, John received this command. Write the things which thou hast seen, and the things which are, and the things which shall be hereafter. So we have been reminded now for 21 chapters, we have been reminded that this age is going to end in apostasy. That this age is going to end with an unprecedented, horrible, seven-year period called the Tribulation. After Jesus has taken his church off the planet. The Antichrist is going to rise and fall during that seven years. According to the scripture, Billions of people on planet Earth are going to die during the Great Tribulation period. Billions. We bemoaned the, uh, the pandemic that we recently went through and the millions of people that died. And without lessening their loss, that will pale into comparison the loss of life in a relatively short amount of time. Over over, well over, I should say, 50% of the planet is going to die in seven years. The tribulation period is going to be terrible. Thankfully, we've also been given, we've been looking at this recently, we've been given a glimpse of our future as the children of God. God's not left us in the dark. We know that we're going to heaven when we die. Every sinful and wrong and unhealthy and dangerous thing will be eternally prohibited from entering that place. It's going to be a great place. Linda asked a question. We were talking between Sunday school and church just a minute ago. She said, Pastor, why why is there a wall around that city? Why are the gates open? And I didn't explain that very well. The walls around the city of Jerusalem. You remember that city we talked about last week? A uh, a 1,500-mile cubic square. It's going to be an incredible size. We, We talked about it spreading from Newmarket all the way out to Colorado, all the way up, halfway up Canada, and then 1,500 miles into space. The New Jerusalem is this massive city. The walls are there to define the city, and the gates are open. And this is just my personal opinion. I believe the gates are open because we're going to be able to go in and out of the city of Jerusalem and go to any part of creation that we want to because it will all have been made new. That's just my personal opinion. So if I feel like going to Pluto... Even though it's not a planet anymore, got kicked out of the planet club, I can go to Pluto if I want to. But it's an incredible world that we're going to have a hard time imagining. 
We don't know a world that's perfect. We don't know a world that is without sin or without disease or without danger. We don't, we don't know any of that. But God tried to give us a pretty good glimpse here. And we come today at the end of the book, thankfully talking about heaven in chapter 21, the beginning of chapter 22. And now we're going to see at the end of the revelation, at the end of the Bible itself, how God chose to close out his book. Would you stop and think about the book that you're holding in your hand? That book was written over a period of 1,500 years by 40 different authors, that most of whom never met each other. And every word in it is truth. It is a miraculous book. You, we, we love the beginning of the book. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. You, boy, that's the way to open up a book right there. He just starts talking and things come out of nowhere. But how's God, how is God going to close this book? Well, that's going to be our focus today. Let's read, just to get us jump-started, let's look at Revelation 22, verses 6 through 10. And that will get us into our first, uh, our first main focus. God focuses our attention on three things in these last 15 or so verses. And verse 6 says, remember he's talking to an angel, John is. So he, this angel, said unto me, These sayings are faithful and true, and the Lord God of the holy prophets sent his angel to show unto his servants the things which must shortly be done. Behold, now Jesus speaks, I come quickly. Blessed is he that keepeth the sayings of the prophecy of this book. And I, John, saw these things and heard them. And when I heard and seen, and when I had heard and seen, I fell down to worship before the feet of the angel which showed me these things. Then he saith unto me, See thou do it not, for I am thy fellow servant, and of thy brethren the prophets, and of them which keep the sayings of this book. Worship God. And he saith unto me, Seal not the sayings of the prophecy of this book, for the time is at hand. So we're going to look at how God closes his word. This is unlike any other book you've ever read. It's like any other conclusion you've ever, you've ever read. Uh, God closes the canon of scripture, and in doing so, he says this. This is everything I want you to know. And then he's done. Everything I want you to know, and then God ends his book. So let's look at these verses today and see what God has for us. And what, what is he going to say? What is he going to say to the world after this terrible description of what's coming? After the wonderful description for the Christian of what's coming, what's God going to say? Father, thank you for your word and thank you for the opportunity that we have to read it so freely here in this country. We're still able to gather together this morning and we don't worry about people coming in and arresting us or taking our Bibles or saying we can't say this or that. I don't know that that will always be true, but you know the times in which we live and you've given us your word to know how we should be living. So help our thoughts today as we come to the end of this fantastic book, The Revelation of Jesus Christ. We're seeing and getting glimpses of the Lord Jesus in all his glory and Lord, you've given us the best descriptions our minds can contain on what's coming. So help us to use this book Well, like you said at the beginning of it, you said we're to read it and we're to listen to it 
and we're to obey it. So help us to do that. And may we walk away from this study, Lord, changed because of it. We pray in your name. Amen. How God closes his word. He's going to give us some concluding words this morning. And I'll start with the passage that we just read, verses 6 through 10. A concluding word about the scriptures. A concluding word about the scriptures. (coughs) He says in verse number 6, first of all, that the scriptures are accurate. The scriptures are accurate. He, He uses that faithful and true phrase in there, and that's not the first time we've read that. These sayings are faithful and true. Everything in the revelation that you've read and we've studied together over this Uh, We we started this journey in January. Everything you've read is faithful and true. It's accurate. There's been no exaggeration. Now, when you read those words, some of those places you're thinking, that must be an exaggeration. I don't believe it is. (coughs) Excuse me. I I, I don't know if I can. I, I don't know if this is true. It is. No exaggeration. Not one single falsehood, every prophecy and promise that God has made in this book. In fact, let's just say the entire book. Let's just take, take that word accurate and apply it not just to the book we've been studying for these last 49 messages. Let's go all the way back to beginning Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1 and say this. Every promise and every prophecy is absolutely true. And if it has not yet been fulfilled, it will be. This is what, this is, what is meant by faithful and true. In chapter 3 and verse 13, Jesus is called the faithful and true witness. And then a little bit later in chapter 19 and verse number 11, the F and the T are capitalized and Jesus is given the name. It says his name is faithful and true. And now here in verse 6, these sayings are faithful and true. When Jesus says anything... It is not only true, it's truth. We've talked about that standard before. You see, truth is the standard by which everything else is judged. If something is true, it's because it agrees with what is truth. And Jesus said, I am the truth. Everything he says is faithful and true. In fact, in Psalm chapter 138, and we won't turn there, but Psalm chapter 138 and verse 2, the second part of verse 2, Jesus ties the integrity of his name to his word and says, For thou hast magnified thy word above all thy name. I'm just saying, church, that I want us to lay this ground level. He's closing the book out and, and, and at ground level here, his word is faithful and true. The scriptures are accurate. If it says it, you can believe it. May I say this to you? If the Bible conflicts with science or with history or with philosophy, always side with the Bible. That just means that man's science and man's history and man's philosophy has not yet caught up to the veracity of the scriptures. It will eventually. It will. The Old Testament mentions the pathways of the sea, and people used to scoff at that. The sea. Look out at the sea. There's no roadways out there. You know what they found on the floor of the oceans? Pathways. People for a long time criticized the the, uh, Old Testament use 
uh, or the Old Testament references to the Hittites. Remember Uriah the Hittite? That was the man who uh, David stole the wife from, Uriah the Hittite. And for a long time, archaeologists and historians says there never were any Hittites until somewhere in the early 1800s, somebody stumbled across this massive uh, civilization over in the Middle East. You know what they found out? There were Hittites. I'm saying if the Bible disagrees with science or history or philosophy, side with the Bible. It's accurate. Not only is it accurate, verses 7, 8, and 9 tell us that the Bible, the scriptures are authoritative. Jesus says in verse number 7, Behold, I come quickly. Blessed is he that keepeth the sayings of the prophecy of this book. The scriptures are authoritative. Jesus reaffirms here what he's been saying throughout the throughout not just the New Testament, but even the Old Testament refers to the second coming of Christ. He's coming again. Man can say what he wants to against the Bible, but the fact is that God's word is always going to have the final say, and Jesus is coming again. Here's another, uh, another promise, a repeat of the promise that those who keep the words of the revelation are going to be blessed. That's what the first part of verse 7 says. That's what John said at the very beginning of the book. Chapter 1 and verse 3 offers a blessing to those that read and listen to and heed this book, the beginning of the book. It promises that. Now here we are at the end of the book. And those who read and keep the words of Revelation are again promised a blessing. This Bible is to have authority over our lives. The scriptures are, are accurate, and because they're accurate, they are authoritative, and they are, to tell, they are to describe for us how we're to live, we're to obey it. Jesus said in John 14, 15, if you love me, keep my commandments. This is what we, this is what we are to do. And John is listening to this, this word about the scriptures, and, and, and the angel's telling him about it, and then Jesus speaks about it. And John gets so caught up in the moment, he falls down at the feet of the angel. Did you catch that? And, and the angel looks at him, what are you doing? The angel's just shot. Get up. Stop this. I'm a servant just like you, he says. And then that angel gives John the advice that every one of us need to keep in mind. And it's just a two-word command. Worship God, period. You ever, get, you ever get amazed at how easy it is for you to find yourself worshiping something that's not worthy of your worship? Whether it's a person or an object... Sometimes we take our focus off the Lord Jesus Christ and we give worship to what is not worthy of that worship. The angel said this, if anything is to be worshipped, it's to be God. He's the only one. Deuteronomy chapter 10 and verse number 20 says, Thou shalt fear the Lord thy God, him shalt thou serve, and to him shalt thou cleave and swear by his name. The scriptures are accurate and because they're accurate, they are authoritative And we are to worship God for it. And then the third thing in verse number 10, they're accessible. I'm thankful he gives this command in verse number 10, aren't you? He tells John this, don't close that book up. He says, here's how he says it, seal not the sayings of the prophecy of this book, for the time is at hand. When he says do not seal it up, he means don't conceal this. Don't keep it a secret. He's not saying, don't bring this book to a conclusion. He is saying, don't conceal the message of this book. 
This is exactly the opposite command that Daniel got seven century, or several centuries earlier in Daniel chapter 12 where the, an angel told him, seal up this prophecy. In Daniel 12, I think in verse number 4, the angel says to, to Daniel, seal this prophecy up for the time's not yet come. But here, this, this prophet, John, this apostle, is told not to seal the book up because the time of this prophecy is at hand. If that was true when John wrote it at the end of the first century, how much more true is it that the prophecies in this book are at hand in 2023? This, this book is accessible today. When he says, seal it not up, he's saying this, don't hide it. Uh, don't, don't hold it in. What I want you to do is publish it. Publish it long, publish it loud. Let people know what this book says. What does it say? It says that Jesus is coming and he's bringing a terrible judgment with him. Publish that. Let people know. That there's coming a day when Jesus will not come as a mild carpenter. He will come as the glorious king that he is. And he's coming back to take his planet. This is not a closed book. It's open. It has an available message. And one day, this book is going to be the book that judges the world. I recently read to you John chapter 12 and verse 48 where Jesus says this about the Bible. The word that I have spoken... The same shall judge him in the last day. When we talked about the books that will be opened at the judgment, one of those books, I believe, is the Bible itself. God will hold his word open, his perfect, preserved, inerrant word. He's going to open it and judge the world by it. It's still open. So read it and listen to it and obey it. The first thing the Holy Spirit gives us here is a word about the scriptures. Remember this, he's closing the Bible. The Holy Spirit has been writing this book for 1,500 years. And to wrap it up, he talks first about his word, the scriptures. Second, you get a concluding word about the Savior. A word about the Savior. Let's read verses 11 through 16. <coughs> He that is unjust, remember Jesus had just said he's coming back. I'm coming quickly. Now it continues. He that is unjust, let him be unjust still. And he which is filthy, let him be filthy still. And he that is righteous, let him be righteous still. And he that is holy, let him be holy still. And behold, I come quickly. And my reward is with me to give every man according as his work shall be. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Blessed are they that do his commandments, that they may have right to the tree of life and may enter in through the gates into the city. For without are dogs and sorcerers and whoremongers and murderers and idolaters and whosoever loveth and maketh a lie. I, Jesus have sent mine angel to testify unto you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright and morning star. Drop down to verse 20. He which testifieth these things saith, Surely I come quickly. 
Amen. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. So we have a concluding word about the scriptures. They're they're right, so live by them. Now we have a concluding word about the Savior. And he mentions several things in here. In fact, twice in verses 12 and 20, first we get a word about his return. He says, I'm coming and I'm coming quickly. That doesn't mean soon. That means when I come, I'm coming quickly. It's going to be instantaneous. It's not going to be a process. Here's another promise of the Lord's return. John chapter 14, he promised that he was going away, but I'll come back, he said. And now at the end of his book, it's still his full intention to return to earth one day. He gives us a word about his return. One of the keys to understanding the book of the Revelation is to remember that the second coming of Christ has two parts. If you, if you don't believe that, then there's a lot of things in the book of Revelation that are going to derail. The second coming of Christ has two parts. The first is the rapture of the church. The second is the return of Jesus Christ. That will help our interpretation of the revelation. It'll help us understand Paul's writings. And, and when he comes back in power and in glory after the tribulation, we come with him and he claims this earth. He puts down forever all of his enemies and he establishes his kingdom. For the Christian... Those thoughts ought to offer peace and hope. The thought of Christ's return, the rapture could occur at any time. That ought not to ring fear into any Christian's heart. If Jesus wants to come right now, let him come. We pray with John, don't we? Even so come, Lord Jesus. The rapture ought not to cause any of us to fear. That ought to do something in our hearts, saying no matter how bad it gets On this planet, these sufferings that we go through on this planet, it's just for a little while, and it is not to be compared with the glory which we shall see hereafter. There's there's those thoughts that ought to comfort us. John, John when Jesus said that, John said, Amen. That's That's a tradition in church that goes all the way back to John. Jesus said, Behold, I come quickly. Surely I come quickly in verse 20. That's red letters in your Bible, right? And the next word isn't. That's John saying, amen. So be it. Even so, come Lord Jesus. Just like you're describing Jesus, come. Just like that. Come quickly. Come now. Come suddenly. But every child of God should love the Lord's appearing. Second Timothy chapter 4, Paul is getting ready to face his martyrdom. He's going to get his head cut off. Not long after he writes 2 Timothy chapter number 4. In verse number 8, he's talking about loving the Lord's appearing. And he mentions a crown that is available to every believer. Not all crowns are available to every believer. But this one is. It's the crown of righteousness. And the qualifier to get it is simply this. You have to love the Lord's appearing. That's it. All those who love the Lord's appearing receive what Paul called a crown of righteousness. Why do you think it's called a crown of righteousness? I, I think it's because of this. 
If I love the Lord's appearing and I'm expecting him to come at any time, I'm going to live my life in such a way that it's marked by the righteousness of Jesus Christ. I don't want to look like this world. Dr. Manley was talking about that in Sunday school today, that one of the biggest problems in the 21st century, especially American church, is that we are marked by worldliness. But those who love the appearing of Christ, and and John was all for it, those who love the appearing of Christ are going to live their lives in such a way that they are marked by the righteousness of Christ. You know what I don't want to be found doing when Jesus comes back? Something worldly and carnal. Now, I'm not talking, when I say worldly and carnal, I'm not talking about not enjoying this life. I would have enjoyed Neyland Stadium about for four quarters yesterday. I would have enjoyed Neyland Stadium yesterday. I'm not talking about things that you enjoy in this life. But acting in a way that is, is consistent with the world system. Thinking worldly. Desiring worldly. None of those things ought to mark those who love the appearing of Jesus Christ. Righteousness should mark so he first he gives a word about his return and said, I'm coming. My rewards are with me. In fact, that's the second thing, a word about his rewards. Not, his, not just his return, but he, we get it in verse number 12. I come quickly and my reward is with me. This is going to be a mixed blessing, verse number 12 is. It's going to be a mixed blessing because he's going to reward every man according to his, as his work shall be. So those who are saved and those who are walking in obedience with him, they're going to enjoy a time of blessing. It says that clearly. I mean, we, we, talked about, uh, we talked about this last week. I should pause here and say, did you not, en- did you not enjoy the bioconference this last week with Dr. Bill Duttry? Well, his preaching was excellent. In fact, um, he's going to be our speaker at our Global Focus in February. I asked him if he'd come, and he said he'd be glad to. He was talking this week, and and he was talking about the day we see Jesus Christ. And he said, don't you want to hear Jesus one day say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of thy Lord. We long to hear that. Jesus is coming with his rewards, and we're working toward that day. But on that same day, on that very same day, those who are not saved will have a completely different set of rewards. Because it says when he comes at the end of the second, at the end of the uh, tribulation period, when he comes at the second coming, he's coming to give rewards to every man. When Jesus returns, the time to get ready is going to be over. The time to get right is going to be over. People need to prepare for eternity today. Behold, today is the day of salvation, Paul wrote. He's coming with his rewards. And here's the true statement. The state in which he finds the souls of men and women then is the state in which they will remain forever. The Roman Catholics are lying to you about the idea of purgatory. That doesn't exist. It's not anywhere in scripture. When you die, you die in a fixed state for eternity. Die saved, go to heaven. Die lost, go to hell. 
and there's no changing locations. Everyone will live somewhere forever. Jesus is coming with his rewards. He, in verse number 14, he gives a blessing. He pronounces a blessing on those who obey the gospel. But in verse number 15, he pronounces a curse on those who reject it. In verse number 14, those who receive Jesus enter the joy of heaven. In verse 15, those who reject him are shut out of heaven forever. So there's a question to consider before we, before we move on here. In what, spiritual, in what spiritual condition would Jesus find you if he came right now? Lost or saved? If he came right now, what condition would he find you in? If you're a believer in here today, if Jesus came right now, how would he find your heart? Would he find it surrendered? You remember uh, that message? We played it a few, we played it a while back. We did those, uh, we did four weeks with John Phillips on a Wednesday night. Remember that? That was a, that was a good four-week series. And the last one we used was the judgment seat of Jacob. And I love that part that he, I love the, the way he talked about Jacob coming into the night when, uh, the night when, jo- uh, when Jacob was going to be um, giving out all of his final recommendations and rewards to his sons. He said there was one son that walked in there that knew exactly what his Lord was going to say to him, and that was Joseph. Joseph knew that he had lived his life in such a way that the father had no rebukes for him. And church, you can go into the judgment seat of Christ confident that God is going to reward you with a well done thou good and faithful servant. Just live your life the way he describes for us from his word. Make him your priority in this world. So he gives us a word about his return. I'm coming quickly. He gives us a word about his rewards. He says, I'm coming quickly and bringing rewards with me for every man according to his works. And then he gives us a word about his rule. And that's in verses number 13 and 16. A word about his rule. He says in verse 13 the same thing three times. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. It's the same thing. Three times. Down in verse number 18, he says, For I testify unto, or excuse me, verse number 16. I, Jesus, have sent mine angel to testify unto you these things in the churches. I am the root and offspring of David, the bright and morning star. This is a declaration of Christ's authority to make such statements about judgments and reward. He said, I'm coming, coming to judge bringing rewards, and now he's saying why he's qualified to do that. Because I'm the first and the last, the beginning and the end, the alpha and omega. I'm also the root and the offspring of David. I'm also the bright and morning star. He's laying out his authority to make judgment and to give reward. In verse number 13, He's saying he can say those things because he was here when it all started and he'll be here when it all ends. In fact, more accurately, it should be like this. What I should say there in verse number 13, he started it all and he'll end it all. It's one thing to be there, but it's a whole other thing, isn't it? To be the cause of creation and to be the introducer of eternity. 
He started it all, and he will end it all. He makes that he makes that, and that's not hard to understand, is it? We know when the Bible talks about creation in Genesis one that we know that the sun was the creative agent. But when he talks about the root and offspring of David, what's he saying? Well, Adam Clark wrote his commentary on the Bible. He said he said this. Doctor Clark said, "Christ is the root of David as to his divine nature, for he is the creator of all things." So if he's the creator of all things, he's the root of David. David is here because Christ is the root of all things. Then Dr. Clark continues, he is the offspring of David as to his human nature. For that he took of the stock of David, becoming thereby heir to the Jewish throne. And the whole regal family terminates in Christ. For he is the everlasting king. He founded David's throne. He will eternally occupy that throne. He's the root and offspring of David. He's also, the Bible says, the bright and morning star. The star in this, in, in the Jewish mind, the star is something that's elevated in rank above everything else. So it says he's the bright star and he's the morning star. The brightness tells of the glory of Jesus Christ. The morning star, Jesus is talking about the advent of something new, a new day, a new eternity. Jesus is the key to understanding all of Revelation chapter 22, really the whole book. But he's the first and last. He's the root and the offspring of David. He's the bright and morning star. He's reminding us of who he is. He's coming to rule and to reign. He's coming to establish his kingdom. He is, and we've said this all the way through the book, but you you have to repeat it because the book does. He is coming again. And when he does, I pray he finds us being faithful. So you have a concluding word about the scriptures. You have a concluding word about the Savior. And finally, there is a concluding word about the Spirit. Verse number 17. And the Spirit and the bride say, Come. And let him that heareth say, Come. And let him that is a thirst come. And whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. For I testify unto every man that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book. If any man shall add unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. And if any man shall take away from the words of this book of prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life and out of the holy city. And from the things which are written in this book. Concluding word about the spirit. Dr. John Phillips said, It is fitting indeed that the sacred canon of scripture should close with a reference to the Holy Spirit. For he's the author of the book. The one who has inspired every chapter, every verse, and every line. The spirit and the bride say come. First, he gives an appeal that we are to accept. Verse number 17. On the last page of the last chapter of the last book of the Bible, God's Spirit utters what is probably the most precious word in the gospel. It's the word come. I love the way the Holy Spirit ends the scripture. Three times in this verse, 
come. We've warned about the tribulation. We've warned about the the instant rapture. We've warned about everything that's coming. We've presented to you heaven in its glory and its accessibility. Come. Come, he says. The first time that the word come is used in the Bible as an invitation is in Genesis chapter 6 and verse 18, where God says, and ye shall come into the ark. And the last time it's used as an invitation, it's used right here in verse number 17, where he invites us to come. Both are invitations to salvation, one to, one to avoid the destruction by water and one to, dis, to avoid destruction by fire. But he's saying, come. One last invitation to lost sinners. One last invitation to the person who thinks they're saved, but they're not absolutely sure. One last invitation to the person who's been playing the part of a Christian, but knows in their heart they're not. Look at it like this. The book is closing. God's closing out his word. And the last thing he's saying is, come. 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 What could he have said there that is a greater message than come? The spirit and the bride say, come. Let, and and him that heareth say, come. And let him that is a thirst, come. Just come. Jesus said in John 7, 37, if any man thirst... Let him come unto me and drink. That's why he uses a picture of a thirsty man in Revelation twenty two seventeen. What is he inviting you to come and quench your thirst with? Jesus. You can take of the water of life freely. And John five twenty four says, if you'll do that, you will pass from death unto life. The last invitation in the Bible is for people to come to Jesus Christ. He's closing his word, and he's still calling people to come to Jesus. Have you ever trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior? It is a one-time-for-all event. It does not need to be repeated because once you are born into the family of God, you cannot be removed from it. Have you ever been saved? If you haven't, come to Jesus Christ today. Trust him. He'll forgive your sins. He'll save you. If you come, listen carefully to this. If you come to Christ, he will save you. There's no sin in your past that will keep you from coming to Christ. God's grace is always greater. Christians who have failed in their walk and Christians who have fallen in sin and, and, and they look at their past and they're like, I just, I'm beyond it. I can tell you you're not. God's grace is always greater. Where sin did abound, where, it, where there was a lot of sin, not just little bitty sin, not just little white sins, but there, where, where sin did abound, where it did grow, where it did thrive, Grace did much more 
abound. God's grace is always greater. Come, come, the Spirit says. And the bride says, and him that is a thirst, come and take the water of life freely. First, he gives this appeal to accept. Come. But then he gives an admonition to avoid those last two verses I read, verses 18 and 19. Boy, those are sobering, aren't they? He says, don't add to this book or this is going to happen. Don't subtract from this book or this is going to happen. John MacArthur points out there's a play on words there if you caught it. It says, if you add to the book, I'll add plagues to you. You take away from the book, I'll take away the blessings of heaven from you. Those are sobering words. Now, who is he talking to? Well, obviously, no true believer is going to deliberately tamper with the word of God in such a way. So he's talking to lost people, and he's saying to those teachers who are out there even today propagating false gospels, don't you add to this. He's looking Pharisees right in the eye, saying, don't you add to this. And he's looking to those who deny the the, uh, infallibility of Scripture, and he's saying, don't you take away from this. If you add to it, I'll add the plagues. If you take away from it, I'll take away heaven's blessing. You don't get to do, uh, nor do I. We don't get to present something that is truth and say that it's not. And we don't get to present something that's not truth and say that it is. That's what God's talking about here. Don't add to the Bible. Don't subtract to the Bible. The charismatic movement, the Roman Catholic Church, a hallmark in those two denominations are to add to the scriptures with extra revelation. Did you know that when the Roman Catholic Pope is is speaking what is called ex cathedra, that what he says is on par with the scripture? That's just not true. The scripture stands alone as the word of God. So some prophet stands up and says, well, I've got a new revelation. You ought to stand up in the middle of that church and say, no, you don't. No, you don't. If they tell you, he or she tells you they have a new revelation, they're lying to you. This book is closed as far as adding to it or taking away from it. We don't get to pick and choose. And we don't get to add our own slant on it. This is God's word. What he says is truth. You and I are to, you and I are just to live by it. He gives this admonition to avoid. May I tell you as your pastor, I take the responsibility of handling the word of God very seriously. My heart is to preach God's word as it is. And I would encourage every teacher in our church, every soul winner, Every missionary or evangelist, take the handling of the word of God seriously. When you stand to present it, I don't want your opinion and you don't want mine. My opinion and your opinion, regardless of our background, regardless of our education, is absolutely of equal value. Nothing when it comes to the scripture. What I want to know is what is God saying here? So in your study and in your meditation, teachers and preachers of the gospel, give it your best effort in studying. We had a guy here singing this week. Uh, Jonathan, what's his last name? White? Jonathan White. 
He works hard when he sings. I mean, that guy just, did you notice that? When he sings, he just worked at it. The man of God can do no less when they're handling the scripture. Sheila does a wonderful job of buffering all my calls until noon every day, unless it's an emergency. If you call up here and Sheila doesn't let you talk to me, don't get mad at her. Because she knows until noon every day, that's my time in the Word. And I don't want to be interrupted. And if you have my cell number, don't use it in the mornings unless you're in an emergency. You better be losing a limb or a life. So if I hit ignore when you call my cell phone in the morning, if I don't take your call, don't be mad. That's just the day, the, the time of the day that I've committed to the Word of God. Because I don't want to ever be guilty of adding to or taking away from it. So give yourself to the Word. Proclaim it in the power of the Spirit. Let God's Word interpret itself. I'm all for good Christian books. I've got thousands of them, literally. They seem to be multiplying. I didn't know books could do that. Close my office door, open it back up, there's more in there. That's how it looks like. Somebody walked in there the other day. I have, I've run out of room on my bookcases because I've had some books given to me. Now I have three stacks of books on the floor, and they need to be filed. And they're like, man, it's just, I said, I don't know where they came from. They just showed up in here. I closed the door, I opened it, they're there. And I'm all for good books. But pick up the word of God and let it do its thing in your heart. Not what some other man or some other woman wrote about that book. Pick up his word. It's the word of God. It's written by the Holy Spirit. God closes his word by talking about the Savior. And he talks about the scriptures. And he talks about the Spirit. And then you come to verse 21. The last book, uh, the last verse of the Bible. John sitting on an aisle to which he has been banished by government. I don't know how he's dressed. I don't know how he's eating. I don't know what contact he has with other people on this prison island. But it is so like God to close the revelation of Jesus Christ by pointing our attention again to his grace. And he does. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. We talked about the seven churches that existed in the first century that have left messages for us. We've talked about scenes in heaven and scenes on earth. We've talked about glorious scenes in heaven. And we've talked about horrific scenes on earth, unimaginable scenes. Then we talked about heaven. And we've talked about judgments. And we've talked about the Antichrist and the end of Satan. But the last thing God wants on our mind when we close his book is grace. Tis grace hath brought me safe thus far and grace will lead me home. It's an amazing book. Start to finish. And Jesus is coming again. And I hope you're ready. I hope you know him. If not, you can be. Heed the invitation there of verse number 17 and come. This world, I mean, you don't have to be a, you don't have to be a prophet. 
You don't have to be a genius to figure out this world is winding down. Look around. It is winding down. Evolution's not true in any form. Things are not getting better and better for anybody. They're getting worse and worse, just like the Bible said 2,000 years ago. And look, it's happening. Dr. Manley has been pointing out, and our teachers in our adult Sunday school have been pointing out, the apostasy we're seeing today is proof that the Bible is true. Dr. Adrian Rogers called the days in which you and I are privileged to live. He called them gloriously dark. Morally, they're dark. Politically, economically, in reference to humanitarian needs around the world, economically, the world's getting darker all the time. But I love that twist of the, I love the twist of the words, gloriously dark. Jesus is coming soon. I'm ready. I hope you're ready. Would you stand with your heads bowed this morning? Father, I thank you for your word, and it is a great word. It is beyond our ability, I think, to communicate everything in here that you want us to know. As best we can, Lord, we have gone through this book and examined what you have to say about heaven and earth and the past and the present and the future. We've looked at your word. We've looked at Jesus Christ. And I pray that it has not been in vain in any of us. May the way we live be changed because of the time we've spent in the book of Revelation. I can't imagine Christians who would avoid this book. It draws me to Christ. And Lord, I pray that today you would draw people to Christ through this book. This is your word. Your spirit is always present. And we pray that today if there is one person, even one, whether they're in this room or joining us online Or maybe they're back in our children's church. I don't know. But if there's one that doesn't know you as Savior, would you draw them to yourself today? Let this be their birthday. Let this be the day that Jesus Christ forever forgives their sins and gives them a home in heaven. And Lord, I pray for the Christian that might be here today. And what they're doing in this world is not what you'd have them doing. What they're giving their lives to and their priorities to and what they're training their children in, it's not what you'd have them do. Lord, I pray that Christian would come and would fall on their knees before you and ask you to draw them back into wonderful fellowship, good fellowship, profitable fellowship, so that we're not living for this world. We live for the world to come. Do with this time of invitation as you see fit, and I pray this In your name, Jesus, amen.